You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. Well, good day, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in, we are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, senior contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, wishing you a happy opening day. That's right, as this podcast has been posted, it is opening day, the beginning of the 2019 regular season for the Cleveland Indians and the rest of Major League Baseball. It's always an exciting time of year and good to get baseball, meaningful baseball, back in our lives. And great to, great to be back here with you on a regular basis for the foreseeable future, as far as I can tell. Uh, we'll be here every week on the Smoke Signals podcast, uh, giving you the latest Indians recaps, breakdowns, and uh, breaking news stories here on a weekly basis. And joining me, as always, is my regular co-host, uh, Justin Lada. Justin, happy opening day. Happy, yeah, opening day. It's good to finally talk about baseball, even if uh might be a little bit frustrating on some notes. Yeah, I mean... On a lot of notes right now, it's not easy to be an Indians fan, even though that it's, who would have thought that this team has the road paved to the playoffs for them. They should easily win their fourth straight division title and still have the best uh, starting rotation in baseball, two of the best players in baseball, and you know things are pretty, uh, I don't want to say grim, but they... There's a lot of uh, frustration bowling over with fans right now. And, you know, we discussed this on the last show, talking about the offseason. And all throughout the offseason, the podcast, we've talked about their inaction and inability to add talent to uh, replace or complement the talent they lost. Uh, and then you have things happen like the injuries to Francisco Lindor and, thankfully, not seriously, to Jose Ramirez. Uh and then the latest comments by the Indians ownership, which we'll get on and talk about later in the show. Uh, it's There's a lot of frustration, more frustration, I think, than you would normally see for a pennant contending team. And uh, I don't know what it means for the Indians on the field this year, but uh, we have the opening day roster announced, and we'll sort of break that down. But what, did, what would you say from your perspective is your feeling, if you were to uh, kind of... Uh, encapsulate it uh, heading in what's the mood heading into this opening day from your perspective well like I said frustrating I mean so you know Lindor is hurt and now a second injury um, so that's not good you know we don't know if Ramirez is 100% now he might be dealing with that for a while and I don't know I and of course we'll, we'll talk about it later in the show about Paul Dolan's comments I think when you factor all those things in I think there's a lot more frustration going into the season than there has been I, I just tweeted something earlier too and I find this interesting is you know what last year it seemed like April to April to September didn't matter like everybody including the team knew that they were winning the division there was no like worry about losing the division last year at any point um, so, you know, those for, uh, six months of baseball were really kind of meaningless. It, it, it was kind of sad. I think everybody was just waiting for October. And then when October was a disappointment, it, it really hurt because it felt like the first six months of baseball didn't really mean that much. This year, because of the injuries and um, 
having a lot of new faces. I think, at least on that end, there's a little more intrigue to the season. I mean, are they still favored to win the division? Yeah, but I think their margin for error is a lot slimmer, especially with these injuries. So I think that there's a little more intrigue around the regular season than there was last year. So I guess I'm excited for that part of it, um, even if the rest of it's kind of frustrating, as I said. Yeah, maybe there's a more of a sense of urgency this year as compared to last year because, you know, they had a pretty talented roster all around and a pretty full roster. You know, I know guys like Andrew Miller and Cody Allen weren't quite up to snuff. And, you know, Jason Kipnis struggled at times, although he did finish up the rest of the season strong. And, you know, they were struggling to find a center fielder after Bradley Zimmer uh, struggled and then had his injury. And, you know, it was kind of all over the place with that, but by all accounts, they had uh, a decent enough roster to uh, win the division and make hay in October, which, of course, didn't happen, but uh, when you come into this year, though, losing guys like Alan and Miller, Michael Brantley, Lonnie Chisholm, Jan Gomes, Edwin Encarnacion, it's... I think you're right. The margin for error is not that big this year, and I think that... uh. Terry Francona, he's a smart guy. He knows it, and he knows he needs to uh, really squeeze a lot of value out of this team, out of guys like Jake Bowers and Jordan Luplo and, uh, heck, even Max Moroff and Eric Stamets or Roberto Perez. They These are guys, and practically his entire bullpen outside of uh, uh, Brad Hand. So he's really going to have to maneuver and get this ro- get the most out of this roster that he can, which he's good at. He's been proven to be very good at getting uh, a lot more out of less than many managers, probably any manager in baseball uh, currently. And so at least there's some confidence on that end. And maybe the sense of urgency could end up working in the tribe's favor this year. Who knows? Because I do agree with you. Last year was, it seemed like, I don't know if lethargic is the right word, but they never seemed to really get going last year. It seemed like it was, you know, they would win their games here and there, but there was never, like, a time where they got hot or they got on a run or anything like that. I'm not not talking about, like, a 22-game win streak like 2017, but I think that there you never felt like there was that ignition point with the 2018 Indians, and they just kind of, you know kind of strolled their way through the season and, and then got to October and then they hit a wall when they ran into the Houston Astros. So uh, maybe that having a little more adversity this year can help them and better prepare them for October. And I don't know, but uh, I think there is something that can be made of that. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, they definitely weren't pushed at any point. Some, you know, you hope that make, makes a difference, I guess. But I, I still don't feel like the, the Twins are that good. I think the only thing that, that prevents them from being pushed or that keeps them or that lets the Twins push them is their own injuries and, you know, what they're lacking they lost. You know, I mean, I, the Twins pitching to me still isn't that good. Their bullpen's kind of iffy. Uh, the only thing that they have better for sure is the lineup. Uh, I, I don't even... I don't even know if their bullpen's as good as the Indians because there's a lot of uncertainty in that bullpen. I just yeah. I, if the if the Indians have injury issues all year all year round, that's going to obviously change things, especially when you consider Lindor and Ramirez. 
those are the two guys they could at least afford to have injured. I think I really think that's the only way they're, they're pushed. I mean, they're not going to win the division by multiple, you know, double-digit games. It's probably going to be six or seven. But I, just, I don't feel like there's a real threat where it's like they're going to spend a lot of time behind the standings if, you know, unless the injuries impact that. The only way they get a real push, I think, is one, if the Twins pitching staff and bullpen really come together, which doesn't seem likely because remember from my uh, AL Central team previews, their pitching staff is better, but slightly, if any, but it's at least it's on par with last year, which wasn't that great. So their lineup is definitely better. I think their lineup might be second best in the division behind the Indians, maybe even better in some respects. Uh, but I think that the only other way they get a push is if the White Sox really come together. That young talent really gels, and they become like a Cinderella story. I don't say that I'm not saying that they challenge them for the division, but maybe they join the Twins in that uh, wild card chase and start to put a little heat on the Indians, getting within ten games of them. And that's They're the only other way. Way. that rotation sucks. Yeah, I mean that's what I mean. It's like. It's like the White Sox have so much young talent. It has a lot of upside. It's just a matter of whether or not it can all pan out and when it can all pan out. And that's that's what my uh, intrigue, where my intrigue lies with them. But uh, yeah, the Twins, I don't think have enough proven talent in the in the rotation or the bullpen. Nor do they have a lot of high upside guys other than like Jose Barrios. You know, Kyle Gibson. He's kind of a workhorse, but he's going to be like a a four ERA guy pretty much his entire career, I expect. And they don't really have anybody who's ready to come up and be impactful in the majors yet. They have some guys, but, you know, they just barely got their feet wet last year. So who's to say that they're going to come up here and dominate this year? They could, but that's a long shot. So I think that, the Indians still have a safe margin in, in the division, but I don't think it's going to be as wide as the last couple of years because I think that the Twins and possibly the White Sox are going to pose a, a potential threat. Not well, not really a threat. They're just going to add a little more heat to the uh, to the division race, I would think. Yeah, I mean it could be worse. I guess if maybe maybe having two teams pushes them helps a little more. I guess if the White Sox are a pain in the behind. I think I think they will be. I think that team is just young and hungry, and they're going to have some. They're, they're going to give even the best teams in baseball uh, a little, a few headaches here and there because uh, they're probably not going to be. The best teams are probably not going to be expecting them to play to their level, so that's where I think that could come in. But let's talk a little bit about the injuries. Uh, we mentioned already Francisco Lindor has no timetable for his return right now because he sprained an ankle during a spring training rehab game, a minor league rehab game against, against Akron. And he was recovering from a calf strain. The ankle sprain has been described as uh, acute and light to moderate. And like I said, no timetable for his returns to be determined. And it just, not not good news for the Indians on this front, and now it looks like he could miss a couple weeks in the season potentially, then have to go on minor league rehab assignment. So we could 
potentially be looking at Lindor being out for uh, a good portion of April, which, you know, is not a a horrible thing considering the, how the season pans out. But, you know, he's already missed spring training, essentially, other than his rehab due to this uh, calf injury. And now he's going to miss time because of the uh, ankle injury. And, yeah, he's young, and he's probably going to be able to bounce back uh, better than a, a lot of players. But, you know, still, missing spring training and missing an early part of the season, we've seen it have lingering effects. So what what are the concerns for Lindor at this point? Well, like you said, missing spring training is not good. Like, that's we've seen in years past that guys who struggle to get their volume of at-bats and, and timing and just getting ready for the season, you know, preparing their body. Because not only does he have to rehab for this ankle and the calf, you know, that kind of keeps him away from doing other things, not just baseball activities, but, you know, just preparing his body to play for six months. And I think now he's down to five. I don't think we see Francisco Lindor until May. Now, I think maybe the upside is this. I don't I don't know. I have no idea. Obviously, I'm not a doctor and I don't pretend to be. You know how I feel about that. Um I don't know how the ankle affects the calf, but if you really, really want to search for a silver lining here, it's that he won't have to play on the calf now for probably two weeks, and he will probably not be playing in April in Cleveland on the calf. You know, everybody was worried about playing in the cold weather and, re- and re-injuring the calf. Well, now there's a good chance you don't see him till May, so it maybe prevents him from having to test the calf out when he's not quite ready uh, in the cold weather that might harm it. Maybe he comes back in May and that's not as big an issue. Um, I think I saw, I think Brandon Bowers, our writer and our uh, resident doctor of physical therapy said something about grade two sprains are four to six weeks. And we don't know what kind of grade sprain he has obviously, but that puts him, you know, on rehab at the end of April and, potentially early May and he doesn't come back until mid May. So that's a lot of time to miss, you know, especially now that he he was doing well, like he was hitting the ball well in those games. It looked like he was going to be fine, but you know, now he's forced to make up that volume again. So hopefully they bring him along slowly, but you know, how long can the Indians offense survive without, you know, they're one of their two best hitters in the lineup, especially their leadoff hitter. Yeah, definitely. And it probably was well. This injury just was announced today, so this came beforehand. But uh, his calf uh, rehab and the time he potentially could miss, as he was put, placed on the uh, injured list, which by the way is a new thing I wasn't aware of that they changed the name from disabled list to injured list. But yeah, he's on the ten uh, day IL to start the season. Uh, so to complement that, they brought in. Uh, they brought in, uh, what's his name, Brandon Miller? Or Brad Miller, yeah. Oh, Brad Miller, yes. Well, that was for Kipnis' injury. Who? Oh, yeah, for Kipnis' injury, too. I think, Kip- I, did, they, did they officially place him on the injured list, too, or no? I think they did, uh, They because he is not listed on the, on the 25-man roster. So, but yeah, both uh, uh, Lindor and Kipnis are starting the year on the injured list, but uh, that's when they brought in the veteran Brad Miller, who really didn't get a, a ton of playing time in Cactus League. Didn't get a ton of time in camp either, but he's making the opening day roster and will be probably one of the starting infielders, uh, uh, probably at short uh, with Max Moroff over at second. 
And then you have Eric Stamets on the bench. But, uh, yeah, two key injuries. And thankfully, Jose Ramirez is fine. Uh, after that uh, foul ball scare, he saw the ball off his leg in one of the final uh, Cactus League games and had to be carted off the field. It looked really bad. But uh, x-rays and the MRI came back negative. So I, th I think he had an MRI. Well, anyway, x-rays came back negative And... He uh, is only day-to-day, -day and Terry Francona says he's fine and should be ready for opening day. So hopefully we should see him at third base because that could potentially be three infielders down to start the season. But uh looks like Ramirez will be fine. So, uh, yeah, some scare some uh, injury scares for the Indians early on. We already have two guys on a disabled list, uh, but thankfully everybody else looks like should be healthy. So, uh before we get into the roster, any final thoughts on these uh, injuries? I just hope Ramirez is fine because if they if if Ramirez's injury lingers at all, uh, boy, that's that's bad. This lineup's already got a low floor, and without Ramirez, who's your best hitter, Carlos Santana? Wow. Yeah, it's it's like 2011 all over again. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I know, and. Yeah, uh, we already talked about this lineup hinges so much on Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, and the thought of them both being out of the lineup for any period of time is just a, it's the kind that can keep you up at night as an Indians fan. So uh, we won't dwell on this too too much more. Let's uh, what do you say we get into this uh, roster and talk about uh, <laughs> who's who's on and who's not? Uh, first of all. We'll go this, uh, through this one area of the roster at a time. First of all, starting pitching, no surprises here. Kluber, Bauer, Carrasco, Clevenger, Bieber. Uh, no surprises there. Still, uh, you know, for all the woes we talk about with this roster, this uh, starting pitching staff should still be among the tops in baseball. Um, up there with the Astros, with the with the Yankees, with the Red Sox, uh all these, all those great pitching staff, the Indians should be up there, if not number one. Uh, so, uh, any thoughts there? I mean, this is all no big surprise as far as the five guys. Just glad to see all five of them come out of camp healthy and ready to go for the season. Yeah, I mean, there was that whole debate, or I don't know why the Indians stirred it up, but you know, there was a debate about how Kluber could or Bauer could be the opening night starter in Minnesota, not Kluber. That would have been pretty awkward, but. Um, I'm not sure why they gave any life to that. I do like, I will say, I do like Bauer pitching between Carrasco and Kluber. And Francona's reasoning was that they think that they'll be okay early on with Bauer pitching, you know, 110, 100, whatever, how many pitches he needs to pitch and not having to do that on back to back days with Kluber and Carrasco because they want to limit their workloads early in the year, obviously. By the and way, the bullpen's uh, all shaky. Yeah. By the way, speaking of, uh, Potential injury scares. Does anybody get more comeback line drives oh. than Carlos Carrasco? That's that just, one... I, I don't know. Every every time it happens, I'm like, really? How? How? <laughs> How is fortunately, this possible? Fortunately, that got him in a, uh, a very fleshy area, so he wasn't, uh, wasn't able to he wasn't, uh, hit with any serious injuries, and he was able to shake it off and laugh it off. Uh, but, yeah, I swear, every time it's like, why? What, what is with this guy and these comebackers? And there's been a few occasions now. I mean, he's had him at his head. He had a broken hand. I mean, it, it's he doesn't have the best luck with this. And 
you know, everybody on Twitter. I think we all, you, me, and Corey all tweeted at the same time. Does anybody get more comebackers in Major League Baseball than, than Carlos Carrasco? So there has uh, to be something to this. Like it, it almost seems like it's not fluky. Like is it some of his delivery? Like because he pitches out of stretch, does he not? Does he not get into position to defend himself well? Is his is his fast? It's usually off his fastball. I would assume. Like I just don't get it. Yeah, and that one line drive was 110 miles an hour too. So thankfully, it didn't do any damage. Yeah, it was off was... his rear end. Jeez. Yeah. So uh, starting pitching, uh, no surprise there. I'm, it, based on uh, our predictions uh, for the IBI roundtable, which, which posted as we record this on Wednesday. Uh, my my bold prediction, and well, I don't know if it's necessarily bold, but a lot of me and a lot of our other senior contributors uh, predicted Trevor Bauer to win the Cy Young this year. That's and, a popular pick everywhere. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it happening as long as he stays healthy. He's still working on developing his pitches, and he seems to be doing a really good job at it. I'm predicting a, a really big years from Bauer, Clevenger, and Bieber. I think that Kluber and Carrasco are going to be about on par with what they've done in the past. Maybe not uh, Cy Young level, but I think that we're going to see bigger things from Bauer, Clevenger, and Bieber. Yeah, I think Bieber's going to have an awesome year. I, I, I pick Clevenger. I'll give it away now. I had Clevenger this year, not because Clevenger's going to be any worse. I just think that new changeup for Shane Bieber um, is going to be a huge weapon for him, and nobody has command like he does. So I think he's going to have a huge step this year, and that's going to hopefully help make up for the bullpen as well. Yeah, absolutely. So... All right, so the bullpen, speaking of which, is shaky is probably putting it nicely at the, at this point because uh, you have Brad Hand at closer. That's great. Beyond that, who knows? Because right now it looks like Adam Simber is your setup man. Uh, maybe Neil Ramirez is your, uh, your seventh inning guy. Uh, Oliver Perez is your is your late-inning key matchup guy. Tyra Olsen's also a matchup guy. John Edwards is your wild card, a guy who Terry Francona seems to really like. And he has good stuff, but he hasn't really shown it consistently at the major league level. And then also Dan Otero, your pop-up guy who had kind of a weird year last year. He didn't have a good ERA, but his FIP and XFIP numbers were better. And... You know, he's always the consummate ground ball professional, so as long as he's getting ground balls, uh, I don't think that he's going to have a repeat performance of last year because it seemed kind of fluky when you really dig into the numbers. So I think other than Brad Hand and Dan Otero and maybe Oliver Perez, if you want to throw him in just based on his track record, this bullpen has a lot of uh, unknowns. And how, figuring out how this is going to shake out is going to be one of the – I'll say interesting developments to watch this year, but probably terrifying is the more appropriate term because is Adam Silver going to be a setup, a good setup man? Is Neil Ramirez going to be as good as he was last year? Uh, is Tyler Olson going to be able to come back and strong from his injuries? Uh, I don't know. So thoughts on the bullpen? Yeah, definitely a lot of uncertainty. Uh, you hope that Brad hands the anchor because if he's, there's no reason not to think so. I mean, he struck out 100 batters the last three years in a row, which is almost Andrew Miller-esque. Like, I think people to overlook how, like, I 
when the Indians traded for Brad Hand last year, I thought, okay, he's a really good reliever, but he's not Adam, um, Adam Andrew Miller, obviously. I almost said Adam Miller. Hopefully, he's not Adam Miller. Uh, <laughs> he's not Andrew Miller, but then, and he's still not Andrew Miller. But he, I looked at his numbers, and he's only he struck out 100 batters each of the last three years as a reliever. That's so hard to do. So that's that's I think overlooking how good he can be. I, I have a lot of faith in John Edwards. The Indians have a lot of faith in John Edwards. Throws hard. You know, we, we you saw him last year in Akron a little bit. I think he's I think he's got a chance to be really good and help this team in a big way. The rest of the guys I have absolutely no idea. You know, supposedly Trevor Bauer helped Neil Ramirez with his slider, I think it was, over the offseason. So hopefully he's better. Um you hope Perez doesn't regress too much. And quick uh, promo, too, for us, uh, Gavin Potter is going to be digging into some numbers from Adam Simber. He thinks he still, I saw some numbers why Simber struggled last year and why he thinks he's going to be a lot better this year. So you can look for that coming up in the next week or so, too, on Adam Simber. All right. So, uh, yeah, a lot of wait and see here. I think there's potential. I agree with you. And Simber, Edwards... Maybe Ramirez, too. I mean, he's a guy who has good strikeout numbers. Uh, that's probably the been the only thing that's been consistent for him is his strikeout numbers and always a good foundation to build on. So, uh, yeah, I think there's potential, but, you know, you're going into the season as a pennant contender with two new uh, key late-inning guys and... And then uh, Brad Hand as your closer, which is great, but like I said, but uh, beyond that, it's very up in the air right now. So we'll have to wait and see. But uh, outfield, uh, we have Jake Bowers, Leonis Martin, Greg Allen, Tyler Naquin, Jordan Luplo. I mean, it's a far cry from, you know, the Michael Brantley, uh, Bradley Zimmer, Lonnie Chisholm outfield of yesteryear, but... Uh, I don't know. I think there's potential there. I, I, I'm a big Greg Allen fan, as I've, as I've said in the past. I am making a bold prediction that Jake Bowers will be a big uh, contributor for the Tribe this year. And uh, Landis Martin is who he is. He's not great, but he's not terrible either. He'll be a solid uh, center field option. Hopefully, if uh, his uh, health issues are all behind him and there are no lingering effects on his game. And then uh, Jordan Luplo, a lot of people aren't too thrilled with him. I think there might be something there. I've seen him play against uh, the Rubber Ducks when he was back when he was with Altoona and, and the Pirates system. I think there might be something there, but I don't think the upside is all too high, in all honesty. But uh, and it's the outfield. I think, like I said, I think there's potential, but it's definitely not tops in baseball right now. Yeah, I mean that. Uh... It's not the best, but it can't be a whole lot worse than last year, can it? I mean, think about saving factor in the outfield offensively that wasn't uh, Michael Brantley. Defensively, I think they're going to be a lot better. I was just kind of looking up while you were talking um, about the whole outfield. Last year in left field, Clay Davenport, uh, who does projections and has his own defensive projection models, and defensive run save, different from fan graphs, um, had Jake Bowers at a plus one defensive run save in his 
in left field. And I think Fangraphs also had, okay, so he was a little bit below average in left field. Uh, according to Fangraphs, he was negative one defensive run saved um, and kind of a not so great UZR, but maybe with some coaching, he gets better, but he's young and athletic. Um, I think I, I'm actually kind of glad that he's playing left field, going to be playing a lot of left field and Santana's at first, because I think that two, both of them are too good and athletic to be rely, or, um, resigned to DH. I don't really know if I love Hanley Ramirez clogging up the roster and DHing every day, because I like the idea of having a flexible DH spot where you can get guys days off and, and keep you know roster flexibility going. But as long as they have this setup, I like that Bowers is going to get time in the outfield because I think he's a little, obviously a little more mobile than, than Michael Brantley. I don't really know how good his arm is. I've never seen him throw from the outfield, so it's hard for me to say. Um, you know, if Martin's healthy all year, he's good defensively. I have no idea. Who, who's playing right field? Is it is it Luplo against, is it Naquin and Luplo platoon? Is, are they, is that the new guy or Chisholm platoon? And then where yeah. does Greg Allen fit? They, they took Greg Allen. Greg Allen had maybe the best spring of any outfielder. Why Why aren't they giving him a shot to have every day at bats? I mean, he was great down the stretch for them. I know his average on balls in play was absurdly high. That wasn't going to sustain, but he made real improvements. Walk rate went up. His strikeout rate went down. Um, and he's, he's good defensively. I'm not really sure why they're not giving him more at bats. Yeah, it seems it seems odd because uh, I, in my mind, I think – with all due respect to Leonis Martin, I don't want anybody to lose their job because of injury or illness, but I do think that Greg Allen deserves uh, a shot to play every day in center field. But uh, it seems like that he's going to be the uh, the fourth outfield guy, the guy who's going to uh, come in and play all three outfield positions whenever needed and off the bench and possibly pinch run, come in as a defensive replacement late in the game to start the year with uh, Martin being the starting center fielder. So, yeah, and then you got Naquin and Luplo. I think that's the platoon over and right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's the best way to maximize the value that's on the roster, but it seems like that that's what the plan is right now. Um, I don't know. That could change uh, when Carlos Gonzalez is ready. We haven't even... We didn't talk about Carlos Gonzalez yet. Right. Yeah, he's going to still be in the in the picture. He's got to get fully ready for the season. He's going to stay behind and extend spring training. And He's got working. an April 20th opt-out, too, so the Indians have to bring him up by April 20th. Right. So they, he'll have most of April to get ready, and they'll have a decision to make uh, in the third the last week of April. So Who goes down for him if he comes back? Like, right now, I'm assuming they're going to give him a shot. He would have to be... He'd have to be pretty awful in in, in April for him, then not to bring him up, right? Like, I, I can't imagine they sign him and then decide, oh no, he's not worth it because they took Melky Cabrera for you know last year. I'm pretty sure he yeah. can't be. Any. So who who's going to lose their job for that? Is is it going to be? They're not going to cut bait with Hanley Ramirez in April 20th because all all the outfielders except for Martin have options. So who, I would who think knows? I would think it would probably be Jordan Luplo. Because he seems like the the uh, low man on the totem pole here, and but it also depends on how much outfield time they want to see uh, from Carlos Gonzalez. Maybe if they if they think of him as strictly DH, maybe uh, Hanley Ramirez does get cut if he do, is not cut if he's not uh, hitting too well. I mean, I know it seems 
Like, I can't yeah. imagine them cutting the bait that fast. That's that's like 13, 14 games, you know, maybe 10, considering how many rainouts they'll probably have in April. Right. I really can't imagine them. I can't like really I, imagine them doing that. Like I said, though, it depends on if they see him playing more outfield or playing or have serving more as a DH. Uh, I don't think that because I don't think that he's it's uh, off the table to consider him as not an everyday outfielder anymore. So that's what I mean. They might try him just to try to get everybody on the roster, but I don't. In all honesty, I don't see him as the everyday outfield type anymore at this point in his career. But we'll see. But that's something that will be addressed uh, in due course uh, over the month of April. But and who knows? Injuries might uh, make the decision anyway, as it seems to do. Uh, it always does work out. Than, yeah. Yeah. More more often than not, it seems to happen that way. So, all right. Let's discuss the infield. We already know how uh, Lindor and Kipnis are starting the year on the injured list, but you got Jose Ramirez at third. Potentially Brad Miller at, at short, Max Moroff at second, Carlos Santana at first, and then Mix and Eric Stamets on the bench. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? And of the three guys, Miller, Moroff, and Stamets, who they have filling in right now, who do you think has the best shot of sticking around? Well, considering the fact that he's going to play a lot longer than we thought because of Lindor's injury. I'm going to say Eric Stamets because now we're not going to see Francisco Lindor until sometime in May, I assume. I, I, I guess they can try to acquire somebody else. Maybe maybe Stamets is not good and they decide that Yu Chang needs to come up. And that, and that Honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, now this injury happened, I do think we might see Yu Chang a lot earlier because originally they thought Lindor might miss a week and it wasn't worth, you know, burning Yu Chang's service time for a week, which is ridiculous, but maybe that's what they were thinking and he wasn't quite ready. But if Lindor is going to be out for a month, six weeks, maybe they decide that Yu Chang is a better option to get at bats for six weeks than Eric Stamets. But I think they're going to give Stamets some time to prove he can at least play in the big leagues and possibly be a utility infielder himself. And we know, uh, Francona already likes him because he's good defensively and he had a couple good games in Texas at the end, hit the ball well. And I know you tweeted about it or wrote about it the other day that um, he had power two years ago in Columbus. I thought the power was kind of fluky, um, but he still, you know, showed something offensively that year. So maybe, maybe there's something there. And, and as long as he's good defensively, they're going to keep playing him. Yeah. I mean, the power he's, I mean, he's not going to hit 20 home runs, but, uh, He's a guy who could possibly hit double-digit home runs with his. Uh, seems like he's had an improved swing because uh, he was never. He was a guy who didn't hit any home runs. He hit like maybe three to five home runs a year uh, prior right. to uh, 2017, and you know he had injuries last year, which really hampered his performance. But I think he's a guy who could hit uh, possibly 15 home run home runs a year, 10 to 15, maybe a little more than that. Um, so the power defense combo, I think, is nice to have on the bench. Uh, I'm really surprised, actually, that they gave uh, Brad Miller a spot so soon after signing him because he wasn't with anybody. And he was with the Dodgers before he played. He, he had oh, a good time with the Dodgers. Oh, that's yeah. Right. He, he actually hit the ball well for them. Okay, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. My bad. So uh, okay, so it makes sense that he got a spot then versus you know like Carlos Gonzalez who wasn't in camp at all with anybody and. He's getting the 
extended spring training. So, okay, now I, now I get it. And Max Moroff uh, at one time was a somewhat decent prospect for the Pirates, but, you know, he hasn't quite panned out that and probably will be a utility infielder at best in the majors uh, moving forward. So I suspect that more often Stamus will might be the first guys out when when they Lindor and uh, Kipnis come back. But uh, you know we know that the Indians like Eric Stamus. Maybe there's something there. But uh, with Miller being a veteran, no, we know that uh, uh, Terry Francona also really likes veteran guys. So it's uh, gonna be interesting to see how uh, this all shakes out once. Guys are ready to return from injury. Uh, catcher and DH, you got Roberto Perez and Kevin Ploiecki. I was kind of surprised, honestly, that uh, Eric Haas didn't get more consideration. But when they brought in Kevin Ploiecki, and I, we were discussing before the show, he doesn't have any options left. It kind of uh, was a foreshadowing to me. So not a big surprise, but I thought Eric Haas was going to get more of a chance. And then Hanley Ramirez, not a big fan of having him on the opening day roster, considering the fact that he, at least the at-bats I saw, he did not look like the Hanley Ramirez of old. And, you know, spring training at-bats you take with a grain of salt, but a lot of, uh, a lot of weak grounders, not much of anything to speak of as far as, uh, you know, something that you can really hang your hat on. Uh, catcher at DH, uh, any thoughts there and should they have gone a different direction? Now, if Kevin Pilecki had an option, I think you could have argued for Eric Haas because uh, we were talking before we started recording that Eric Haas doesn't have a whole lot left to prove at Triple A. He's 26. Uh, he kind of is what he is defensively. He's above average. He doesn't have a great arm, but he's a good receiver and he handles the pitching staff well and he has power and he walks some. Uh, I think he's kind of maxed out who he is as a player. Uh, obviously, he could cut down on his strikeouts a little. That'd be helpful. So maybe he does work on that. Um, but I think for the fact that he didn't have options, it's good they kept Ploiecki because catchers get hurt a lot. Uh, as we've seen with Perez in the past, he's had a couple of weird injuries too. So not a lot of guarantees. And if you look beyond Eric Haas, who who's their fourth catcher on the death chart? Like, I think they told Diane Navarro that he's not making the club. So I don't think that means he's going to triple a unless they work something out with him that he is, but he's a really bad defensive catcher. So that would be kind of rough. So I don't even know who's going to play with Haas and triple a. They released a couple catchers in, in camp the other day. Did, that, did they release Daniel Salters? I think he's been around quite a while. Did um, they? I, I didn't catch that. Um, Think, I, I can't remember. There were like eight cuts in the last two days, and I can't remember who they all were. But like, who who's the fourth catcher on the depth chart? Like, I, I don't know. That's the thing. So I think they, just for the sake of the fact that they couldn't lose Pulecki because he doesn't have an option, you had to send Haas to AAA because otherwise you have no third catcher, even even if I think Haas might be the better player. he Haas also needs to play every day too, I think. Yeah, I agree. And by the way, the, the catchers I think you're talking about, we had Simeon Lucas and uh, okay, Lucas. and Michael Tinsley. I think it was one. Yeah, and Michael Tinsley got released too. Although I think he was more. Uh, neither one of them have really played catcher. Uh, 
recently. I mean, I think Lucas has been more of a first baseman, and Tinsley's been more of an outfielder. So, um, well, they both were around for a little bit, and they both did not play well. So, <laughs> right. So, uh, Saltridge is still in the organization, as far as I know, and I think between him and like Lee Jen Chu and maybe Sicknarf Loopstock, they're the they're the best next best catching options that the Indians have right now. Beyond is uh, Loopstock Erica's. still. Is Loopstock still around? Because he got yeah, suspended he's... late last year um, by the Indians for some behavioral issue, I think. He yeah, missed, like, some, the last month of the some, year or something for that. Something like that. I was kind of surprised to see him, but he's still in minor league camp. I saw him in the uh, spring training highlights, minor league highlights. So uh, huh. he's still around. Uh, and, yeah, I think between those three guys, they're the uh, next best catching options the Indians have before you get down to uh, – you know, guys like Bo Naylor and uh, I don't know. There's, Maybe he could be the four-string catcher. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. so in case, in case anybody was curious, because, you know, nobody dives in like we do. Um, roster resource has Tim Fedorovich and Diane Navarro as catchers going to AAA. So I guess... The Indians work something out with one of the two, or maybe both, to go to AAA. So maybe they are bringing a few veterans to AAA just in case. Makes sense. They usually do that every year. Um, so, yeah, they're very thin on catching. And I, the more I think about it, keeping Cap, keeping Kevin Plawecki around, having Haas in AAA, while I don't think it's fair to Haas, I think is the best option as far as maximizing your roster depth. Because there isn't a lot of it with at catcher right now, so, uh, and, yeah, we'll see what happens with, uh, Hanley Ramirez, and if, uh, Carlos Gonzalez, his, uh, status coming up in mid to late April factors into his future with the Indians, but I made my prediction last week, I don't think either one of them ends up being a, uh, a factor for the Indians in the long run, it may not, neither one may be on the roster by the end of the season, but that was just, uh, my, uh, my prediction. So, uh, any other uh, considerations for the twenty-five man roster that you didn't think get a fair got a fair shake? Um, that's a good question. Uh, maybe Yu Chang, just given the injuries, like is is Brad Miller for sure a better option than Yu Chang? Especially considering, I mean, not not that Brad Miller costs a lot. I don't know what they're paying him. I can't imagine it's more than the the, the major league minimum, but. I guess in the end, I mean, you could. I guess you can ask like maybe part of the bullpen, like were there guys in camp who were good in the bullpen that deserved to be on the roster? Maybe, but they also had guys that were out of options they had to keep. So, but I think other than that, maybe just Yu Chang. Like, do we know if Brad Miller for sure is a better option than Yu Chang right now? I couldn't. I couldn't say yes at this point. Because only because uh, Brad Miller hasn't been quite what he once was. But, uh, you know, you don't know what Hugh Chang is going to do in the majors, too. He's a guy who has good power but also strikes out a lot and typically it might take a little longer for those guys to get their, their sea legs under them. So who knows? But I do think that Chang, both Chang and Haas, have very little to prove in the minor leagues from here on out. So if we're going to be down... If they're going to be down there. I don't think it'll be down there for very long, especially if these injuries continue to be uh, a lingering problem for the for the tribe. So uh, we shall see. But uh, I think that for me, yeah, Chang is a good one. Haas, and I think that Henry Martinez 
I think should have gotten more of a look than he did. I was kind of surprised to see him get optioned back as soon as he did in camp because I don't think he he pitched that poorly uh, in the games he appeared in. So, you know, I think there, I think that he might have deserved to get more of a look, especially given his upside in the bullpen status. So if I were to add somebody else to that list, he would be the one. Yeah, I mean, there, there were some relievers, I guess. It's just hard to pinpoint. There were just so many options. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who who had – I mean, they still want Tyler Clippard to come up at some point, I hope, if he gets healthy. I thought that Justin Grimm had a real shot. We talked about this last week. Um, I'm kind of surprised none of those guys did. But the only guy that would have been hurt by it is, is John Edwards because he has options. And Neil Ramirez, Oliver Perez, Tyler Olsen – and Dan Otero don't have options, and you're not going to send Brad Hand, obviously. Right. So um, let's go ahead and, uh, now that we've talked about the roster, let's get into some of the comments that were made about by uh, Indians owner Paul Dolan, CEO Paul Dolan, oh, no. about, <laughs> well, we got to get to it at some point. So just a couple of days ago, we were all, we all had, to rise in the morning to the Zach Meisel uh, athletic article where he had a, I think a 35 minute conversation with Indians owner, majority owner, Paul Dolan. And, uh, you know, they were talking about the uh, payroll constraints, the team's financial constraints, how apparently the team has been losing money the last few years and it has led to them having to cut payroll this past offseason, much to the uh, chagrin of the fan base, and, you know, not reinvest that payroll into the roster. And, you know, we all know how this offseason went and how it has left a lot of question marks uh, with the team. And basically uh, what it boils down to is uh, Paul Dolan was saying how, you know, the team, the Indians are not going to be a team that hands out uh, – 300 plus million dollar contracts like the one that uh like the one that Manny Machado and and Bryce Harper got you know unless quote other teams are signing guys for a billion dollar contracts so that probably was alluding to the fact that Francisco Lindor probably won't be signed to that kind of deal by the Indians and then you know the one that has turned into a hashtag a meme and gone viral on social media is the comments about uh, Francisco Lindor's long-term future with the Indians. And Paul Dolan said, quote, enjoy him. We control him for the next uh, three years. Enjoy him, and then we'll see what happens. So, you know, he didn't quite close the door on uh, Lindor extension talks, but he did throw a nice bucket of cold water on that. And, you know, that in addition to the comments about the payroll and, basically taken a very defeatist posture overall from what I could see. Um, definitely set social media blaze and a lot of tri fans who already were not too thrilled with the Dolans are uh, branding him and the whole ownership group public enemy number one among the uh, fan base. So uh, what was your initial reaction upon reading this article and reading some of these comments? that the Indians are really bad at public relations, or at least the owners are. I don't know who is on staff as, like, their official PR, you know, advisor or whoever's, you know, kind of talking through. Like, 
I don't know. I'm in between. So I don't think it's great when he's silent. Like, okay, so Terry Pluto talked to him earlier in the offseason. Didn't really get a whole lot of answers out of him there. Zach Meisel talked to him, got a lot more answers out. So what do you do? Do you, if you're Paul Dolan and you know this is happening and you had the offseason you had, do you just stay silent and don't answer anything and say you're not going to talk? Or do you address it? I don't know what he does either way. I don't, I don't think there was a really a good option for him either way because I think his answers, no matter what he said, were not going to be received well because of how the offseason went. But the comment was just in poor taste. And, and I'm sure he obviously didn't mean it like that, but he didn't phrase it very well. I mean, you had to know they were going to ask about it. You didn't go in, pl- you didn't go in thinking they were going to ask about that and have a better response planned. Like, I, I understand the guy's in a tough spot, regard- you know, given how the offseason went. There was no no good answer he was going to be able to do, or no good response, or, you know, was it going to be good for him to ignore them? But that response just was not good. I, it was I, it had to have something better. Very ill-advised on on their part. I definitely agree. And, you know, there was a lot of people going back and forth on Twitter arguing about, you know, whether, you know, you still – you had some people who were, uh, you know, the Dolan – you had Dolan's cheap crowd, of course, and then you had some people who used to be defenders of Dolan – of Dolan ownership uh, suddenly turning against him after these comments. And then you have people still uh, in the Dolan camp trying to uh, make sense of this and justify their comments in some way and their financial situation uh, and then blame it all on the fans and attendance, which, you know, is an, obviously a never-ending discussion and debate. So we won't get into that aspect of it, but uh, I do think that there needs to be a distinction between the Dolans as owners, as far as uh, how they run the team and, you know, how they hire smart people and basically stay hands off, let the people they hire run the show and do it in a way that uh, makes the team competitive. And they've done very well at that. You know, Chris Antony, Mike Chernoff, Brad Grant, uh, all the people involved with the, uh, organization from top to bottom have really done a nice job of building the team from the bottom up with scouting the farm system, uh, player development. And, you know, they've developed a a lot of great players and obviously, you know, the Indians are used as a model of success all across baseball, which explains why so many of their execs get hired away by other teams to become GMs, assistant GMs, uh, what have you. So, um, I think that in that respect, you need to make sure there's separation between the Dolans as owners as far as how they run the team and how they set the tone for the organization, uh, as far as emphasizing building from within, because I think they do that excellently. And then there's the Dolans, the uh, the money managers, and how they run the team as a business. And, you know, that doesn't seem like they emphasize winning over making a profit. So, you know. I think there's separation and distinction between the two, and I think both need to be uh, recognized. I think that there just needs to be separation. So that's the first thing, and yeah, I agree with you. Whoever their PR advisor is needs to be fired because, you know, there's there's not a lot of good spins for this, but you need to 
at least go out at the at the very least and say, hey, these are our financial constraints. It is what it is. This is, and we're not going to go much beyond that. But we're still going to try to do what we can and operate and try to win within the constraints that we have. It still wouldn't have gone over great, but it would have gone over much better, in my opinion, to uh, say something like that and at least posture yourselves as, hey, we're still with you. We're still trying to win. Here's here's a philosophical question for you, too, while we're, while we're on the subject of separating the GM and the owner. If Okay, so a lot of fans and, and some writers, a lot of media, like to claim that every every team in baseball can afford to sign a Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. They're just owners that are too cheap to do it. If that were the case, right, I'm, I'm not saying the Dolans are being cheap and they're not spending what they could. I'm not saying they're broke or they're losing money. I, I don't know the truth. All I know is we know the TV deal. We know their attendance. We know the reported payroll. That's all we know. And I, I go off that because I, I don't have any other facts. I listen to people like Kevin Kleps, uh, who are a little more connected than most in the city on payroll and CEOs. So I go, I'm going with what I know. But the question is, if, if the GMs I – mean, obviously the GMs have access to – the financials, they know what the team revenue is and they know what they're spending. If, if that was truly not true, if, if the Dolans could afford to sign Manny Machado or Bryce Harper and they just chose not to, I assume that the front office would have access to the, that knowledge, correct? And if so, why would they stay working for the team if they knew that they weren't being given the proper resources to do their job. Like if every team in baseball could afford to sign someone like that and the owners are just blocking it, why would you work for that owner if you know the financial situation, if you know they're being cheap and restricting you from doing your job and helping the team win? Okay, fair fair point, fair argument, because, yeah, I don't think anybody would want to work for somebody who you know wasn't putting you in a good position uh, to win, even though they were capable of doing it, but possible uh, devil's advocate to that would be, you know, this would be a chance for them to flex their GM muscles and get creative and try to build from within and emphasize the farm system and, you know, try and digging through the uh, the reject pile on free agency and the trade market, try to find lightning in a bottle somewhere, which are all things that the Indians have done. And obviously it's done well for the, the execs because a lot of them have been hired Away elsewhere, you know, Mike Hazen, Derek Falvey, uh, so many, so many names. Uh, uh, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins. Uh, Neil so, yeah, these are all guys who have gone on to better, better things. So, you know, it, again, we don't know if it's true or not, but it, that would be my rebuttal to that. Would be to say, like, you know, you, you can know that you're not getting the resources that you need, even though. The ownership is perfectly capable of giving them to you, but you might still choose to stay there anyway because you it'll give you a chance to flex your creative muscles a little bit. I guess, but when you – I don't know. I mean there's a lot of different factors. Like I always say spending money does not make an owner good because Dan Gilbert has twice chased uh, sent away LeBron James, and he might have signed with the Lakers regardless. That's obviously not what we're here to talk about, but – I don't know. It's it's just strange that I have I have a hard time believing you would want to do your job. And I get there's only thirty of these jobs in baseball. And like you said, 
if you want to work, if you want to be a GM worthy of working in a big market that you know, teams that already do spend, you probably do have to work your way up with a smaller, a smaller market team or whatever you want to call it, and prove your, like you said, prove your uh, creativeness. But I, have a, I just have a hard time believing that guys like that are sticking around as long as they do, especially in the Indians organization. You know, for how long they've been around. To, to stay here and realize they're not they're they're staying here despite the fact they're not they're not being allowed to take advantage of all the resources. Yeah, well, I think that you might have an argument there because of how long these guys have stayed around. I mean, Anton A's been here forever. Chernoff is starting to become a tenured guy as well. So, uh, I think that the length of the of the time that these guys have stayed here, that I think backs up your point a little bit more. Um, I still say there might be something to you know them trying to get creative and make their bones as a GM and really build their uh, resume for future uh, opportunities. But uh, we'll see. Uh, speaking of Kevin Klebs, by the way, you mentioned you brought up you know how people have been comparing the Dolans to uh, Dan Gilbert or even the Haslam's over with the Browns. Uh, Kevin Kleps tweeted out, and I thought this was very eloquently put, uh, tweeted, uh, quote, since Twitter too often is all or nothing, all of these can be true. One, the Dolans have run a competent, stable organization, going back to what we were saying before. Two, MLB's economic model is much, in all caps, different than the NBA and NFL's model. Three, it's okay to be upset that the tribe is cutting payroll with the clock ticking on Lindor, so... Uh, yeah, Kevin Claps. I think that that was probably the best overall summary and reaction to what had uh, transpired the other day. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. I think the fact that they cut payroll this offseason and did not add anything of real relevance. I mean, Jake Bowers is probably the best name they added. Um, they had to sacrifice Yandy Diaz for that, so I don't know if that's really. I mean, I like Bowers a lot, but I don't know if it really counts. So, yeah, I think the fact they didn't add is, is disappointing. I mean, even if they didn't get back to last year's payroll, but I for sure thought that the plan was to maybe cut, trim some areas um, payroll-wise and reinvest it and try to get different spots filled out, and they didn't. So, But the, but the rest of it, I, I agree with that tweet 100%. All right, so uh, before we get to the last uh, part of the show, which is previewing our first week of the season here for the Indians, uh, I want to know, Justin, if you would indulge me in putting on the my alarmist hat, which I put on the other day, uh, talking about whether or not the payroll constraints that the Indians have and how the Dolans are, quote, are apparently losing money on the team uh, the last few years. Could this be a tipping point for baseball in Cleveland where, you know, the Dolans can no longer serve as effective owners of a Major League Baseball team in this current uh, economic climate in Major League Baseball. And if so, does this mean a new owner comes in and would moving the team from Cleveland be on the table given their revenue and uh, attendance figures, which don't seem to be very good on either front? Yeah, that's, that's a major concern. I am definitely... Very alarmed about that. I, I've been saying this for about a year now. 
when the Indians signed Edwin Encarnacion and, and the attendance got back to two million for the first time since 2008, and then um, it went down last year, and it's going to be probably down again this year, um, despite the fact they still have a payroll in the hundred millions. I know that doesn't mean what it used to mean in baseball, but the fact that they're coming off of three straight division championships and probably going to win their fourth. It's very, very concerning that there's not a whole lot of fan support for that, um, especially given the fact that attendance went down in 2018 after you know the World Series run in 2016, and then they sign Edwin Encarnacion in the offseason of 2017. That's really super concerning. But, and the other thing is, too, like even if they sell – if the excuse me if the if the numbers really aren't good if they are losing money the new owners are probably not going to spend any more just because i mean if everything stays the same if the revenues the same the new owners aren't going to spend to a loss they're not going to come in and be like oh we're going to lose if if they really are losing money just for example they're not going to come in and spend to the point where they're going to lose more money than dolan's claim they're losing nobody's going to do that a because the indians are worth what, a billion dollars? So if they sell and they get a billion dollars, whoever buys that team already has to, has to surrender that money. And then they're going to come in and spend more than the Dolans did on payroll? I really doubt it, especially if the revenue is out there. And I can't believe that people are going to be like, oh, well, they sold the team. Now we're going to go. You know, the Indians, people always said they were going to go when the team spent money. And I'm not saying they spent a lot of money because their payroll was super low at the time. But when they signed Swisher and Bourne, it was kind of a big deal. And nobody, the, the attendance did not go up. It went down. They went to the wild card game and the attendance went down the next year. And then they won, you know, they went to the World Series and they signed Edwin and the attendance went down last year. So I, I just don't believe in that anymore. I don't believe the segment of the fan base or that claim to be fans say they're going to come when the team spends and wins. They've won. They've spent a little. I'm not going to say they've gone crazy, but they've spent some, and they've done things they they haven't done in the past, like the Edwin deal and the Andrew Miller deal. And and the support just hasn't been there. You know, I, I don't believe that a new owner buying the team for a billion dollars is going to change things, and I don't believe that that owner is going to see much more of a profit than the Dolans are if they run things the same. Now, if a new owner comes in and buys, you know, and spends way more money, sure, it's going to look suspicious about the Dolans, but I, I don't see it happening. I think these teams are run like a business. They want to make money, and if they're not going to lose money. Yeah, the only way it really works in the Indians' favor is if, you know, Cleveland's version of Mike Illich comes in and buys a team and just spends like there's no tomorrow because he wants to see the team win a championship. But uh, that is a very remote possibility at this point, it seems like. And, yeah, I think that whatever new owner comes in – and, by the way, having a new owner is uh, kind of a long shot at this point because, as I think somebody pointed out to me on Twitter, nobody's pretty – nobody seems to be lined up to buy the team. So, uh, you know, that Dolan selling might be a long shot right now, even if they are looking for buyers. Um but if a new owner does come in and is not, you know, like I said, Cleveland's version of Mike Illich, 
I think I that, think that it, has it has to be on the table for them to possibly relocate the team. I mean, there's some cities that are lining up, clamoring for a major league sports, a major league uh, baseball franchise. Obviously, you got Montreal wanting their Expos back. You got uh, Portland, Las Vegas, Charlotte. Uh, they all want would happily take a major league franchise. So, I if an owner came in and a buyer came in and, and legitimately wanted to take the Indians and wasn't a diehard Cleveland fan and wanted to keep the team uh, in the city. I think that with the attendance and revenue figures, there has to be the possibility of relocating the team being on the table, which is sad because we've already seen it happen once in Cleveland, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at this point, which is why, you know, the, all this, uh, the team's financial situation is very concerning to me. And, you know, I'm still going to support the team, still going to be out there uh, rooting the tribe on as long as I can. But, you know, I think that there, this is something that has to be in the back of everyone's mind at this point. Uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, I don't know. I just don't know what to make of it, and I'm more concerned about it now than I was even just a few days ago. Yeah, I am too, and... and... If there's anything to be mad at, and I, I don't know how it's all set up and how it all works, but the Indians have a pretty bad TV deal. Like, okay, so they're getting $40 million a year. I know, you know, when we talk about our lives, that's a lot of money. But when you consider that the Tampa Bay Rays payroll or TV deal is $80 million a year, and they're, you know, the worst market in baseball, and the Indians have been better than they have been the last over the last five or six years. And the Indians TV deal is for less per year. That looks really bad. So if there's anything to really be mad at, it's that the Indians create the Dolans created STO, sold STO back to Fox. You know they wanted STO to be their um, their Yes Network. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago with Corey. But their TV deal is is less than ideal, and maybe that was a good deal for when they sold it, but it's not now. And they're stuck in that deal till 2027. I think that that, that deal went down uh, before the big uh, TV boom and network boom with the, uh, with sports uh, networks because, you know, at the time, yeah, I don't think it was a, a really good deal at the time. I think it was, like, at least on par or a little bit better than average at the time. But then, you know, you had the Dodgers TV deal happen uh, a year or two later, and... You know, TV deal, TV money has since exploded. So, yeah, it looks really bad now. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I think at the time it wasn't as bad as it looks now. Or it couldn't be because there's no way any a sound business person would sign that deal, knowing what the uh, marketplace looks like now. So, yeah, I think there's definitely if if there's anything that would be legitimately uh, legitimately frustrated with the Dolans about, I think it's about. Uh, uh, signing that TV deal and agreeing to that TV deal with Fox, which who knows? I, don't, I think with the uh, the Fox Disney, the Fox Sports Disney merger that's coming up, I saw something on Twitter how the mm-hmm. the uh, regional networks are all going to be sold, and who knows what that's going to mean for uh, Fox Sports Ohio? Because I, I saw that one on the list, so that's going to be worth keeping an eye on too. I don't know what direction that's going to lead, but uh, it's something worth considering as far as future TV money. Yeah, and, and maybe they shouldn't have signed the deal that long. The money is one thing, but 
Yes, until 2027, I believe, right? Maybe maybe they should have gone a little shorter. Maybe. All right. I'll tell you what. We've uh, kind of dwelled in the doom and gloom for a little while here. Let's go ahead and get into the uh, season preview and what's going to happen the first week of the season for the Tribe. Obviously, they're opening up in Minnesota against the Twins. Yeah, Corey Kluber going up against Jose Barrios on Thursday. Or today, as most people are probably listening to this. Excuse me. Then you have an off day on Friday. Saturday, you got Troy Bauer going up against Jake Odorizzi. Sunday is Carlos Carrasco against Michael Pineda. I forgot Pineda was with the Twins. He's uh, coming back from Tommy John surgery, I mm-hmm. believe. And then uh, Monday is uh, the White Sox against the Indians in Cleveland for opening day. That's uh, Yvonne Nova for the Sox going up against, most likely, uh, Mike Clevenger. And another off day on Tuesday. So many off days in April. I don't get it at all. And Rainouts. Yeah. Insurance for rainouts. I think, I also think that's, that's Chicago's or someone's opening day there. So they have the day after off to just, so, be, just be safe. Anyway, so then Wednesday you got uh, White Sox Indians. I don't know who's pitching for the White Sox, but most like a Shane Bieber pitching for the Tribe. And then a week from uh, as today as we record this on Thursday, they'll be taking on the Blue Jays in Cleveland. So that will likely be Corey Kluber's next turn through the rotation uh, when that series comes around. Uh, any thoughts? Uh, early uh, AL Central foes coming up against the Tribe, uh, Twins and White Sox, and then the Blue Jays, which seems to be an annual tradition. Uh, the Blue Jays always play the Indians in April, it seems like, the last few years. Uh, you know, obviously there's not much to say because we don't know what any team really looks like this early in the season, but uh, any thoughts on the first week? I guess it'll be interesting to see how Minnesota feels because I'm sure they're good. They're, uh, they're going to be better than they were last year, and I, I'm sure they feel like the Indians aren't as good as they were last year. So they probably um, assume they have a shot at the division. I'm sure they're going to be kind of plucky. They're going to feel like they it's their time to go back to where they were in 2017 and surprise everybody. So I'll be interested to see their energy level on opening day, knowing the Indians are kind of a wounded duck right now. Um, and I'm curious to see how the Indians manage the workloads of uh, Kluber and Carrasco first week and what Frank Kona decides to do with the bullpen. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this, these first couple of series because, as we mentioned earlier in the show, I think that the that the Twins and the White Sox might be the most imminent threats for the Indians, even if you can consider them that. They're going to be, I think, putting the most heat on the Indians in the, in the division race. So seeing these two teams early on and, you know, you can't probably can't tell much from one series uh, at the start of April, but uh, – it, I think that's facing off against each club. We'll get a chance to see how young and hungry both these teams are. And, you know, we'll see what, like you said, what their energy level is for both teams uh, going up against the uh, perennial division camp uh, Indians, who, as you said, are, you know, not at full strength. And seeing how these series play out will be interesting. I don't think I have very much bearing on the season moving forward, but it'll be fun to see uh Daniels match up against the two of them early on. So, uh, as we wrap things up here, Justin, do you have anything you want to plug? Hmm. 
Well, we have the end of the minor league prospect countdown. That's coming up. I can't believe we're almost done. Let's right. see. We have okay, so when this comes out accompanying this podcast tomorrow or when you hear it, the um Indians round table will be out, so we'll have Indian specific um season preview out tomorrow morning with this podcast. Um next week be on the lookout for obviously minor league previews too, because we're all gonna be writing um previews for the Clippers, the Rubber Ducks, the Captains, Lynchburg. Those are all coming up next week. Uh, I know Lake County Media Day is next Tuesday. I'll be at that uh, the day after opening day. So we'll have all minor league content starting next week. All right. So uh, sounds all good. Uh, can't believe we're at the end of this Top 50 countdown. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be breaking it down coming up uh, next week. This will probably be my main plug is uh, actually tomorrow night. Uh, we'll be doing our first Farm Report podcast of the season. And it'll be me, Justin, and Corey together again. We'll be talking about the prospect countdown, the uh, the affiliate preview. I don't know if the rosters will be out then, but uh, we'll be making our predictions about who's going to be at each affiliate, who's going to be the most intriguing prospects to watch in 2019. It's all going to be fun stuff. We're going to have very lengthy discussions about it, I'm sure. It's always fun to talk prospects, and it'll be nice to get away from all this uh, frustration and doom and gloom with the Indians right now and talk prospects, because that's always fun and always very lighthearted. So watch out for that. That'll be posting on Friday. So uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Justin's at JL underscore baseball. Uh, tweet at us with all of your uh, Indians questions, prospect questions. We'll be happy to answer them. Uh, and uh, follow the show on Twitter at Smoke Signals IVI. You get all the links, uh, podcast notes, and announcements there as well. So be uh, sure to follow us throughout the season as we get going on a new podcast season and a new baseball season. So, Justin, any last words? Let's get the season underway. I'm I'm tired of talking about the off season. At least we'll have some real, actual baseball to talk about. As interesting as this may be. Totally agree. So uh, until next time, for our Justin Lada and the Smoke Signals podcast, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.